0: Welcoming me. It's my honor uh, today to uh, introduce uh, our newest series. Uh, It's called Overflowing Love. Um, And we're going to talk about one of the most unique things about Christianity, and that's the Trinity. Uh, So, right out the gate, I was saying this this morning to the team in the back there, the two guys that really run the show, uh, that I feel woefully inadequate. Every time I approach this topic, and I have several times in my life, a couple times from up here, I've always felt that I just can't do it justice because it's, it's a hard thing to kind of wrap your arms around. And then uh, Martha just said something thinky. I thought, that's the truth, right? That there is a lot of people that come after me when I speak that are much better at being thinky, Right? So uh, we're going to touch on a word that we all like. In fact, there's an ale named after, heretic. Uh, we're going to talk about some heresies. And so if anything comes out of my mouth, you can feel free to yell heretic uh, because I'm not as thinky as the people that will follow me and clean up whatever mess that I make. So that's my, <laughs> that's my disclaimer. Um, our fearless, speaking of really thinky people, our fearless teaching team leader, Catherine, uh, will be the primary voice. This series, so you'll see a lot of her. Um, But I have the honor uh, to be the introduction. Um, I'm going to ask you some tough questions. Uh, I may not have the answers for them, they're something for us to wrestle with. Uh, We'll look at some pictures, we'll revisit and visit some biblical texts, and view a a short, special, inspiring educational video. So, the last time I was up here, which was two weeks ago, uh, I taught uh, on Elijah and the prophets of Baal, right? Uh, And I entitled that teaching, What God Sounds Like. Um, So we explored that story about that um, epic battle, uh, kind of showing how God in times comes in huge and dramatic and loud waves, but it ends in that story with God being a quiet whisper. Uh, a silent sound, you know, and there's many different ways of translating that scripture. The truth of the matter is quiet and, and hardly heard, that we have to get still and to listen, and I think that's probably more how we uh, connect with God. Uh, it's more often than not the quiet ways. So sticking to the theme, I've entitled this one, What Does God Look Like? So, you know, two really easy questions to answer, All right. What does God sound like? What does God look like? And I'm asking the question not so much in the sense of does he have fantastic hair, you know, is he a he, because it's God. He probably does, I'm sure, although I like to think of God, and I'll show you some pictures of him. Here, let's just look at these pictures. These are some of the images that, that we get of God. Of course, by and large, he has an amazing beard, right? I mean, that's like consistent. I obviously prefer the one in the upper uh, left there, Um uh, of course, the one in the middle of the, what are you doing? I'm averting my eyes, oh Lord. Well, stop it. It's, all, it's like those Psalms, they're so boring, right? It's a Monty Python image of God, uh, Sistine Chapel, uh, and then we have the, the, the Trinity. And the way we see God or the way we think of God I think no matter what, we, we have it wrong uh, in a lot of ways. Because who are we as creatures, as creations, to think that we understand God? I, I, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty, you know, with a capital G. How do we do that? Um, today, and for the rest of the series, we're going to look at an aspect of God that is part of what makes Christianity distinct and unique among the world's religions. That God has three separate but equal parts or concisely stated, the Trinity. So why a sermon on the Trinity? Uh, Why is the Trinity important? It's not even specifically, if you go to your concordance and look up the word Trinity, it's not there, right? It's not mentioned in scripture. Why take the time to look at it, think about it, wrestle it? it, Does that change anything? Uh, The short answer is yes, Uh, I think so, and our teaching team thinks so, and most of uh, the experts in the world of theology think so. So Who we think God is informs, it impacts, uh, it affects everything that we do. How we live, how we worship, how we view ourselves, right? Um, Those that we love, our community, those outside our community, uh, our, our enemies even, right? What does God look like and who is God? The question is really a bit preposterous, right? How we creatures of creation begin to comprehend God. Whatever the conclusion, mine, yours, ours, that we come to in this series, I can say without a doubt that it will be incomplete. God, the Trinity, and I'll say this right up front, I'm going to say it multiple times and we're going to look at a scripture that talks specifically about that, is a mystery, right? Uh, A mystery that cannot be solved solely through the straightforward application of reason and logic and the scientific method it just doesn't work, right? It is ultimately understood through faith. Uh, In his book, Mere Christianity, a guy that I love, uh, author C.S. Lewis speaks of how we as Christian followers, how we uh, remain ourselves, that the instrument through which we see God is our whole selves. So my hope is today, as we approach this, and really, anytime you walk through these doors or you sit down to pray, that you are approaching God with your whole self, right? And, in, and Lewis uses these words being pulled to God by God, right? He wrote this. And this is, I think, just such a great summary of kind of like the whole thing. Uh, and this is how theology started people already knew about God in a vague way, right? Then came a man who claimed to be God, and yet he was not the sort of man you could dismiss as a lunatic, right? He made them believe him. They met him again and again after they had seen him killed, right? And then after they had been formed into a little society or community, they found God somehow inside them as well, directing them, making them able to do things that they could not do before. And when they worked it all out, they found out that he arrived at the Christian definition of the three-personal God. Thank you. No, no, no. Yeah, nice. Always smart to quote somebody that's far smarter than you. This guy's going to keep us company, and we'll get to him in a minute. Oh, that's really not working because he casts a shadow right over my notes. All right. Maybe that'll work. No, that's wrong. Oh, now he's worshiping. There we go. All right. All right. You might have uh, thought to ask yourself the tripleness of God, right? This idea of God three times, right? As if trying to understand God, just God, is not enough. We got to try to understand it three times, right? Lewis has a response to such a question, and, and this kind of is the best uh, answer of it all, right? Here's his response. If Christianity was something we, we were making up, of course we would make it easier, but it's not. So there you go. Before going any further, uh, I'd like to show you uh, an inspiring educational video. And before we start it, I'm going to say this. This was graciously brought to the attention of our teaching team by one of our teachers, April Lynn. She's right there in the corner. I came to her after I saw this, and I was ready to beg her to allow me to use the video. And she said, no, I don't want to use it. And I'm like, yes, that means I get to use it. All right? It's been around a while. Uh, Whether you have never seen it before, or I'm hoping this will be your first time and you get to enjoy it, hopefully as much as I do. Whether you have never seen it or this is your first time, you should find it illuminating and inspiring. It was produced by the Lutherans and features a well known state. Brian, if you would.
1: Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning, and we're hearing about all of this for the first time, so try to keep it simple. Okay, Patrick? Yeah, real simple, Patrick. Sure, there are uh, three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet there is only one God. Don't get what you're saying here, Patrick. Not picking up what you're laying down here, Patrick. Could you use an analogy, Patrick? Sure, Uh, the Trinity is like uh, water and how you can find water in three different forms, liquid and ice and vapor. That's modalism, Patrick! <laughs> what? modalism? an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noatus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick! Uh, okay, uh, then the Trinity is like uh, the sun in the sky, where you have the star and the light and the heat. Oh, Patrick. Come on, Patrick. That's Arianism, yes. Patrick. <laughs> Arianism? Yes, Arianism, Patrick. A theology which states that Christ and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father and not one in nature with him. Exactly like how heat and light are not the star itself, but are merely creations of the star. That's a bad analogy, Patrick. You're the worst, Patrick. All right, sorry. The Trinity is like uh, this three-leaf clover here. I'm going to stop you right there, Patrick. (laughs) Yeah, hold your horses, Patrick. You're about to confess partialism. Partialism? Yes, partialism, a heresy which asserts that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are different parts of God, each composing one-third of the divine. And who confesses the heresy of partialism? The first season of the cartoon program Voltron, where five robot lion cars merge together to form one giant robot samurai, obviously... Uh, I've never heard of Voltron. Of course you haven't. It's not going to exist for another 1,500 years now, Patrick. Yeah, get with the program, Patrick. I mean really, Patrick. I'm going to stab you in the face, Patrick. (laughs) Okay, that was probably a bit much. All right, I'll try again. Uh, the Trinity is like how the same man can be a husband and a father and an employer. Moralism again. All right, then it's like the three layers of an animal. Partialism revisited. Fine. The Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is... Is one, equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. Well, why didn't you just say that, Patrick? Yeah, quit beating around the bush, Patrick. Now let's all put on some giant green foam hats, get riotously drunk, and vomit in the Chicago River to celebrate our conversion. <laughs>
0: just let that play out now. All right, real quick, say with me. Oh, Patrick. Yeah, so great. All right, let's recap. The problem with using analogies to explain the Holy Trinity is that it seems you always end up with some sort of ancient heresy. I'll be honest with you, every one of these in my Christian life, I have heard from, especially in my early days in Sunday school, youth group, I've heard it from pulpits, from learned pastors who had multiple letters after their name, right? It's just, it's very hard to wrap your hands around. All of these turn out to be some sort of an ism, right? Uh, a, a brief, a belief or an opinion, uh, an ism, uh, that is contrary to what is held as essential truth or doctrine, right? Also known as heresy. So these isms. Modalism. God is not three distinct persons, but reveals himself in three distinct forms, as in water, ice, and vapor. Heresy. Uh, Arianism, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father, as in the Son creates light and heat. Not true. Partialism, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not distinct persons, but they make up God as one-third each, making up a whole. As in St. Patrick's, three-leaf clover, which he's holding in, I think, almost every one of those pictures, right? And who confesses the uh, heresy of partialism? The first season of Cartoon Voltron, where the five robot lion cars merge together to form one giant samurai, obviously. So first off, try saying giant robot samurai 10 times, and then go home and practice it of the mirror and say it in an Irish accent. Yeah. Giant robot samurai. Um, by the way, this is not Voltron for any aficionados in the room. You probably picked up on that. Uh, this is Optimus Prime. Um, he's actually the benchmark, I think, for me personally, where I, my theater going changed because I remember going to the second iteration of Michael Bay's uh, Transformers and sitting in a theater that was like, you know, giant up there in Thousand Oaks with amazing sound and about an hour into nonstop explosions and quick cuts, i had had enough. And I haven't gone back since because it's just not my thing anymore. I, I think I, maybe I matured in my late 50s or whatever it was. Uh, Yeah. So by the way, yeah, this is Optimus Prime. And the reason why I'm holding him is my wife and I purchased him for our grandson. And I had this idea of standing up here and he converts, you can see from the back, uh, from a truck to Optimus Prime. Um, And I I thought I practiced it. And every time I thought I'm going to rip off his arm or his leg, and we actually bought this for our, our grandson because he loves these things. Now, he's not here today, because, but if he was, I could hand it to him and he could put it back into a truck in about 10 seconds uh, without hesitation. So uh, I, I have to be careful because, again, he's going to be a Christmas present for him. <laughs> so there he is. Um, moving on. Now, uh, by the way, uh, I already said that. Oh, back to the Trinity. Patrick, after being confronted, regarded as poor choices, in trying to explain the Trinity, launches into parts of the 6th century Athanasian Creed. Um, the Creed is fairly long-winded and, and dramatically lays out the doctrine of the Trinity. If you have an interest to read, it's online. I have a copy of it if you want. Uh, trans, uh, translated from Latin, the original Latin into English, and it's multiple pages, and they go over and over and over and over what the Trinity means. And it's kind of summarized in this image here. There you go. So this is, a, if you look, that's a knight, and he is he's an allegorical knight, and he's fighting the seven deadly sins. Those are all the seven deadly sins. And of course, he's got a, he's got a sword, and, but he's holding a shield, and that shield is the shield of the Trinity. Now, for those of you that grew up Catholic and remember the Latin Mass, maybe you can translate that. Uh, I remember the Latin Mass, but that's about it. my, My level of Latin is very little. So here it is translated. And it's pretty, I mean, if you want to take that whole creed, pages and pages of repetition, this is really what it is. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. They are the Son, the Father is God, The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. If you want a a summation of what, you know, theologically, doctrinally, what the trilogy is, that's it. It makes it easier. All right. uh, Moving on. Let's take a look at the scriptures that point to the Trinity. Just a kind of a quick survey through scripture. Uh, Starting at the very beginning in the Hebrew text, Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right, I can't read. Where can I put him? Let's put him here. There we go. Now, if anybody gets a picture of this, they're going to go, what do they do with liminal? (laughs) Um, and just a few verses later, God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, right? Making them reflecting our nature, plural. It's a, it's a real mod to the Trinity. There is other examples that point toward what we know as the Trinity. However, in, in the Hebrew text, they're even more obs- uh, opaque or obscure in the uh, uh, different uh, texts of the prophets. What we must remember is the context, right? A couple of weeks ago, we saw what was happening in, in, with the children of Israel, And that the kingdom had been split in two, to Israel and Judah. And there was a real struggle, a struggle that had been going on and on for years and years and years about worshiping one God, right? I mean, Moses went to go receive the Ten Commandments, comes down, and because he'd been gone a while, what do the children of Israel do? They build a golden calf, and they're worshiping the calf. Every time they turned around, God was dealing with this idea of false gods, so, rather than revealing the, concept of the, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity, it stays hidden, right? And so, we see that in this epic battle that Elijah experiences with the prophet Sabal, right? The proving of the one God. Uh, it's been a struggle since the beginning. Here's a f- few more. All right. So, the Trinity mystery had to wait, right, to be revealed until the New Testament. Here's a few examples. At the very beginning of John's gospel, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has not been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, right? And John's speaking of Jesus, at the beginning of time, with God. But he's calling Jesus the Word. He's calling Him the embodiment of all of God's revelation in Scripture, right? God as Jesus was the fulfillment of Israel's Scripture. The Word in Hebrew means agent of creation or wisdom. In Greek, it means reason, right? How the world is ordered, the very structure of the universe. So that's, that's that's an intense word to apply to Jesus. Neither Greek nor Jewish philosophers, teachers could comprehend that the word would become human, right? Since the time of Plato, Greeks had believed the idea that God was invisible, right? Removed, external, not among us. Most Jews, Jews so heavily heavily stressed that a human being could not become God that they never conceived it might happen in reverse, right? That God might become a human being. Jesus is God. All of this later is confirmed by Jesus himself, who says this, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. It's John fourteen seven, And in Mark, we have this. At the time, of Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open, the Spirit descending on him like a dove. A voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. Right? All three points of the Trinity are revealed in this scripture. All three. They're all present in this event. And lastly, this is just kind of an end piece. There are multiple scriptures in the New Testament that point directly at the Trinity. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, this is a closure to this book, right? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Trinity. Probably doesn't look like this, right? It's cover of one of Richard Rohr's books, right? Uh, It's a mystery, what God's look like, what God looks like. We've been using that word a lot today, mystery. I'd like to really quickly go back to the book of Ephesians, right? Because Ephesians deals a lot with mystery, specifically chapter 3. A a, a reminder for some of us, because we covered this a couple of years ago. Mystery, right, according to the Strong's Concordance, appears in the New Testament 22 times. It appears in the book of Ephesians six times, and over half of those, four of them, are found in chapter three, right? Mystery, mysterion, is a secret or an idea of silence imposed by initiation into a religious rite. It's a time of meditation, a pondering, right? So let's just ponder this for a moment. Exploring the Trinity will encourage us to live with mystery, right? Not a mystery as something that's incapable of being known or understood. This mystery, as Paul told to the Ephesians, is something that is to be revealed, right? Uh, Ephesians is apocalyptic literature, right? It was a cultural shifting piece of literature when it was written 2,000 years ago, right? As Christ followers right now in 2023, my question is, is is the same literature Does it have the same upending cultural effects as it did in the first century church? It should, right? Dr. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project said that Ephesians is a community's guide, including our community, by the way, for comprehending and responding to the apocalypse of the crucified and risen king of the cosmos. Here we sit, hundreds and hundreds of years later, still being confronted with this apocalypse, right? Uh, apocalypse, two words, apo, to take off or away, and then uh, caputo, a cover, apocalypto, right? Take the cover off, a divine revelation. Voila, right? Ta-da! <laughs> for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Paul writes, Right? Not exactly an honorable way to introduce yourself to your audience. By the way, I'm in jail. It's a good place. Honorable guy. Uh, Believe me, whether you've been to jail or worked in a jail, it's not a great place. It's not an easy place. It's not a position filled with glory. That's why Paul interrupts the opening of this text and states clearly where he was at the beginning of chapter 3. There's no mistake, no illusion about where his calling and gifts have come from, or now that he's become the administrator of the secret he's about to tell, the secret he's about to reveal. Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, surely you have heard from the administration of God's grace that is given to me for you that this mystery may be known to me by revelation. As I've already written briefly in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insights into the mystery Of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, going all the way back to the beginning, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is through the gospel. The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I came as a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power, although I am less than the least of the Lord's prophets or people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make it plain, everyone, the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers' authorities in the heavenly realms according to the eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. A lot of words there. The mention of creation in verse 9 focuses on God's eternal purpose in verse 11 and shows the continuity between the new creation in Christ and God's original creation and the actions throughout history. The biblical narrative starts to finish, in him and through faith in him may we approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. All right? I bring that Ephesians to you because that is the exposure of, of, of God's plan, God's rescue plan. And part of that reveal is an understanding that maybe wasn't there in Genesis 1, but now, as we stand here with the entire text and an understanding of who God is, that we grab a hold of this, this complex idea of the Trinity. Perhaps we can think of mystery as another word for faith, right? The path of love and wonder and awe that we walk in, right? To paraphrase Paul to all, here's the big reveal of the mystery. The open secret is that God is creating a new humanity. That's us, a unified humanity. Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, reconciled to one another without regard to ethnic background, a people who are not captive to social and spiritual powers that seek to divide. This apocalypse comes through God, the Father's plan, the Son's sacrifice, and the continuing work of the Holy Spirit, right? The Trinity. It is revealed here in Ephesians by a prisoner, a prisoner who persecuted the church, who has earned nothing, whose gifts come only from God's mercy and love, just like every one of us. We hope that by diving into the Trinity here at Liminal that we broaden our theological horizons, that we can make strides in moving a, a complex concept into something of experiential knowledge, right? There is a tension, as I said at the beginning, in trying to find an earthly human representation of oneness, trying to wrap our arms around what that means. And I'll be honest, I've really been struggling with this. But today, um, I read an article, and I thought, all right, Lord, uh, I'm going with this, because it really resonated with me. Um, I don't know if you know this, but f- former president uh, Jimmy Carter uh, just turned 99, which you go, wow, man, it's a good run. Um, but when you look at his life, you're like, wow, it's, it's a miraculous run, right? One-term president, um, and, and it doesn't matter your politics, uh, but I don't think it can really be effectively argued that as a president that has been effective out of office, there are few that can match Jimmy Carter, right? Uh, When you look at his environmental ethics, uh, his his humanitarian ethics, Habitat for Humanity will go on long after he passes. Uh, And speaking of that, eight years ago, he was told that he's going to die. He had melanoma. It spread through his body. It was in his brain. It was in his vital organs. They said, prepare yourself because, you know, you're done. And Carter's response, you know, Eight years ago, or so, was well. I'm ready for the next adventure. He's a profound person of faith, right? He's like, yeah, I'm ready, and uh, so he prepared to die eight years ago. Um, so, just nine months ago, uh, his his all of the different myriad problems besides the cancer, you know, as his body is beginning to fail because he's 99, or just about to turn 99. He goes into hospice and he decides, I'm not going back to the hospital. That's it. I'm done. I've run my race. Um, I'm sure when he made that decision, just like they told him eight years ago, he was probably thinking, all right, Lord, you know, I'm I'm ready to go. But he didn't. He, I'm going to have a hard time with this. He's been married to his wife for 77 years. Wrap your heads around that. Now, We all know people, um, partners, people that love each other, people that are deeply friends, that have known each other. And the one consistent thing in there is time, a long time. And when you look at Jimmy Carter and Rosalind Carter, there is no doubt, 77 years, man, that's a long time. And they knew each other in high school. Every experience that man had as the President of the United States, guess who was right there next to him? And there's a lot of talk about how much she influenced. I mean, let's just put it this way. Anybody that shares the bed with the President of the United States, you're a fool if you think that they don't have some sort of influence, right? Or when we finally you know, have a woman in the role, it'll be the same. Sure, come on, man. They're life partners. And as life partners, they have lived life together in the hard, obviously the hard, and the, and the, the troublesome and the, and the amazing and all of those things. And so... In this article I read today, there was a picture of him. They nobody. They had a, uh, like a parade in his hometown. It's like 600 people, right? And in the parade, they had a picture of him holding her hand. And, I, and, and they interviewed some of his family members, and they said this of him. And the reason why he has not gone yet is that it's all because of her. Because he, his whole life, has shown up for her. And she her whole life has shown up for him. And she has her health struggles and he has his health struggles and he's just not willing to let go. That, if I, you know, you hear at wedding ceremonies often, you know, the two become one. That, if I, if I could hold that out as some sort of human way of us wrapping our, around, our arms around what, it, what this oneness of the Trinity can mean. And so, I, I know it, it's It's inadequate. But it just struck me this morning as I read it, and I thought, I'm going to share that for better or for worse. I I just think that that's the kind of oneness that we're kind of trying to reach for to to give us understanding of what uh, the Trinity means because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been together for eternity. I don't think I need to mention that. That's a long time, right? You will hear these refrains again and again as we move through this series. Christianity is not about a lifestyle change. It is about knowing God, a relational God, a loving God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, knowing the three that are one. The God of the gospel is good news in three persons. Knowing the love of God is the very thing that makes us loving. Right? The triune God shares love and catches us up in love, being pulled to God by God. I'd like to ask the worship team to come up and let's worship. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this for this, Lord. I, I thank you for the chance to approach you in this matter, and to gain understanding, Lord. And as we uh, ponder uh, what this means, this Trinity, what what you mean, what you are, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, uh, Lord, we ask for illumination. We ask for understanding. We ask to be pulled to you by you. We give you this worship in Jesus' name. Amen.